I'm so glad you're joining us for this episode of Street Soldiers. We are celebrating black trailblazers. And boy, have we got a great panel for you. We're going to learn from them. We're going to hear their stories and definitely get inspired. Joining me for this conversation is Dr. Brian Harper. He's the Chief Medical Officer and Vice President for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at the New York Institute of Technology. Dr. Harper, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. We appreciate it. Also with us is Majora Carter. She's a real estate developer, community-minded. You see her book title behind her, Reclaiming Community. She also runs a Boogie Down Grind and Bronx Landia venue, uh, event venue space. Um, Majora, thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure and honor. We appreciate it. Also with us is a longtime friend of Street Soldier. has been on with us many times through many controversies and also big stories. And big successes, the one and only Daytuan Thomas. The name sounds familiar if you don't know him. For many years, he was the um, executive editor. And do I have that right, Daytuan? Executive editor, editor in chief. Editor in chief. Oh. The, the head guy, the head guy at, um, at Vibe Magazine. And he helped steer the magazine through a very difficult time for a lot of publications, keeping it true to the culture and highlighting a lot of talent. Now he's in a, a new position. As executive producer for talent for Dick Clark Productions, yes, the ones that produced that big New Year's Eve show. They also do the Golden Globes and Billboard Awards and a lot of other big shows. So he's, he took, he's taking a big step um, in his career direction, and we're going to find out all about that. Daytuan, first of all, congratulations. It's really thank great you. to see the progress. Oh, my goodness. Lisa, thank you so much. And you've seen it from the beginning. You've known me forever. So I, it, it means the most coming from people that know my journey. No, thank you so much. A Brooklyn guy making it all the way up, you know, big time in Hollywood. That's awesome. <laughs> VK all day. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, Daytuan, I want to start with you on this because we've seen, you know, we've seen over the years, especially your journey, you know, your journey as an executive, as a black male executive in the corporate world with a magazine and yet still having such close ties and being an integral part of the emergence and development and growth of hip hop. What has kept you going and inspired you throughout this journey? Oh, my goodness. I, I would have to say what's kept me growing and going is uh, my passion for, for the music. Um, you know, I, I really started with DJs. Like I used to run around with the executioners, and they, and they weren't like just club DJs. They were like battle DJs. So I used to carry the records and go to different events and, you know, shake hands with everyone. And I wasn't getting paid. That was like my my true first internship. And then uh, I ended up going to college at Baruch College in NYU. And during that time, I was over at, uh, at Vibe and I was an intern there. And I just started to realize that if I can be on the block and I can talk about music and be so passionate and argue in the barbershops and on basketball courts, and stuff like that, then I can do that in a corporate setting and let people know that our culture is an art form and mm-hmm. we're passionate about it just like they are about things that's at the Whitney or at the Met. We take it that serious. And I wanted to be able to be a voice for those that couldn't get that message out like that. And I, I believe I've done that so far. No, you've definitely done that and, and kept the, into the journalistic integrity as well. And giving a lot of credibility to to many artists, yes, you know, indeed. and explaining what they're going through and helping people who love the music but don't necessarily understand their background or where they're from, you know, or some of the challenges that they face. So we're, we're glad to have you with us, Majora Carter, community community oriented real estate developer, 
How did that is a very tough feel? How did especially in New York City? How did you get inspired and and become so committed to really creating these new spaces? You know, within the community, especially in the Bronx. You know, and and so Daytuan, I'm going to thank you point blank for giving me like everything. But <laughs> right now, just the that beautiful quote: "Our culture is an art form." Mm-hmm. Communities that we are in that we were often pushed into that have been, you know, maligned, you know, historically, you know, racially, economically, environmentally, all of those things. And I'm from the South, South Bronx. So South Bronx all day, all, all day. Um, but it was, but it's, it's clear, like what I decided to do is like when I first started my career, it was in creating, you know, responding to the environmental issues that the city and our state were putting upon us, you know, being a politically vulnerable poor community of color. And I've since sort of moved that into real estate development because it everything is about real estate, everything. Okay. And the way that our communities are developed and defined, you know, the fact that, you know, hip hop born and bred here, right here in the South Bronx, but, you know, it multi-billion dollar economic engine for lots of folks, we don't really even reap the value, you know, of most of it, Okay. But and it's the same way for our community itself. How do we use real estate development and commercially and also through through residential, you know, property development and also ownership? How do we create those spaces that acknowledge that the culture that we have produced that has been exported all over this world, but doesn't ever really come back to support us? How do we, you know, use the the just that idea? Can we create the kind of communities where we're um, benefiting from the fruits of our own labor, you know, from from our culture, from recognizing that we can create the kind of communities that we don't have to move out of in order to live in a better one. And I love it, like economically sustainable. Exactly. That's all it really is when it comes right down to it, you know, so we can create both create, generate, and also um, retain wealth in our own communities that's by us and for us. All right. We're going to find out how you've been doing that um, in just a short while, but do- I want to bring in Dr. Brian Harper the Chief Medical Exa- um, Officer and a Vice President of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at New York Institute of Technology. Dr. Harper, we're hearing a lot of talk, especially the past couple of years, about the shortage of black doctors, particularly black male doctors. And we became aware of your work and your incredible career um, about because of contributions you're making trying to encourage young students, you know, young kids, to get involved in the sciences and the medical profession Tell us about your journey. Oh, boy. Uh, I'm not sure where to start, but let me just start off with seeing if I can connect uh, both of the previous speakers to to uh, to my own identity. Uh, so I started, I'm, I'm originally from uh, from Brownsville in Brooklyn. And uh, so, you know, our, our saying there is Brownsville never and never will. <laughs> never and never will, of course. And, uh, <laughs> absolutely. So I grew up playing basketball at Brownsville Recreation Center, uh, which is located on, on Linden Boulevard. Uh, but the reason why I'd like to tie both of these together, because I come from a family of uh, musicians, interestingly enough. So my uncle was a jazz piano player who played with uh, with the likes of Miles Davis and John Coltrane. Wow. And I grew up also DJing. You know, I come from the generation where we put the first two turntables together. So I'm going going way back. <laughs> so, <laughs> so when I started, it was one turntable at a time. Uh, so I certainly respect all of the work that you've done as far as uh, vibe and and uh, and focusing on on the hip hop community and uh, 
a lot of the jazz musicians at the time when I was DJing, they would say, yeah, that, that stuff is not going anywhere. You might as well just start practicing your piano. But, and look how it's, uh, it's really grown. That's, so I'm very impressed with the work that's been done. Having said that, uh, I guess I started off, I, I was doing well in school, playing a little bit of basketball, but I ended up going to Brown University undergrad where I majored in biology and Afro-American uh, studies. At that time, in fact, I was still DJing and I, I won a couple of DJ contests <laughs> during, during my college career. Uh, but from there, I ended up going to medical school at Syracuse and then came back to start my training at, at Harlem Hospital. Uh, at that time, it was a raging HIV and AIDS epidemic, and uh, we didn't really have good treatments and good medications for it. So I was just able to really sustain people as well as we could. And uh, ultimately, I realized that it was sort of a revolving door. You would take care of patients. They would come back. They would still be ill. You would take care of them, and they would just eventually return. So I decided to go into a career in public health and preventive medicine to see what can we do to prevent people from becoming ill. And that's what put me on this track of, of public health. And I eventually became the first uh, African-American uh, health commissioner out in, in Suffolk County, Long Island, because I did my residency program at Stony Brook. So uh, I was involved heavily with public health out in, in that particular uh, area. But part of what uh, has become clear is the fact that when you talk about black physicians, the numbers have not increased significantly in terms of percentage since uh, since 1940. So if you go back to 19, what? Uh, 1940, the, the percentage of black physicians was uh, roughly, we're talking about black male physicians, was roughly uh, about 2.7%. And if you look at the data in 2018, uh, it was still about the same, 2.6%. Now we have a, an increase in, in, in overall in black physicians because Women entered the uh, entered the the medical um, arena, and as a result of that, overall the percentage is more like uh, five point seven percent. But that's mostly because of an increase in women, which was much needed as well. Uh, so we certainly welcome that. But as far as uh, African American physicians, although uh, a male, it hasn't really increased that much. So that's one of the reasons why I'm very much in favor of things like pipeline programs and and getting young people interested in science in general. Mm-hmm. I was a member of 100 Black Men, and we had a saying that uh, what, they'll see, what they see is what they'll be. Mm-hmm. So, uh, when you don't see a lot of uh, physicians or scientists in general, it just never occurs to young people that that's something that they could actually aspire to, to become. And uh, yeah. oftentimes you find that some of the, the negative elements in our community seem to be the most visible. Uh, so certainly uh, you might have people involved with criminal activity, things of that nature, or as well as athletes, say they get a, a lot of uh, publicity within the community. So quite naturally, young people are going to say, hey, I would like to be like this particular individual. Right. And we need to be a little bit more visible. Okay, I, I've got to jump in because that absolutely. The, the thing that hurts me the most, mm-hmm. you know, I'm born and bred and bred, still live in this neighborhood, when I have folks who see me in the neighborhood. It's like, you know, I own two pretty major businesses that have quite a presence in this community. When someone comes up and just says, oh, so where do you live now? Mm-hmm. Like they assume that I don't live in this, in my own neighborhood. Because exactly. you're, to your point, you know, uh, Dr. Harper, mm-hmm. success doesn't live in, in neighborhoods like this. Like mm-hmm. we, think it just speaks so, so the value of seeing, you know, us of different levels in our community, defining what what value, what power 
looks like. It's so important. And so, yes, if they don't see it, they won't know it. They won't believe that it's possible. We're going to take a short, a short break. We'll be back right after this. This is Street Soldiers. We are celebrating Black Trailblazers. A lot of gems already have been dropped, so stay with us. A lot more to come. We'll be right back after this. Hey, what up, y'all? This is Lloyd, the King of Hearts, and this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, and real people only on Hot 9-7. You dig? Welcome back to this episode of Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We are celebrating Black Trailblazers. We have three incredible individuals high achievers on the show, on this panel. Joining me, Dr. Brian Harper. He's the Chief Medical Officer, Vice President for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at the New York Institute of Technology. Also with us is Majora Carter. She is a community-oriented real estate developer and uh, author of the book, Reclaiming Community. Also with us is uh, Daytuan Thomas, who is now Executive Producer for Talent at Dick Clark Productions. And you've seen him around because he's been with us as the editor-in-chief of Vibe Magazine for a long, long time, and is at many hip-hop functions and events and, and shows. So thank you all for being with us uh, for this episode of, of Street Soldiers. Majora, in terms of this idea of people like of giving back and coming back to the community, that gets you a little upset. Tell us why. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, think about it. I just, it goes, because I think it goes way back, you know, to some of the unintended consequences of integration. Yeah, we might have been a racially segregated society. Blacks had to live, you know, together, but we were economically diverse. And I think that there was, there was less of a failure of imagination, you know, that we could be anything we wanted to be. But what happened with integration is just that the part of it was that people felt like they could move wherever they wanted, which we know that that, that was not exactly true. We're still one of the most segregated countries in this entire world. But um, but the point is, is that what it happened was we, we used to be able to see that there were doctors, you know, there were developers, there were great musicians, there was all sorts of folks living in the same place, you know, and then there was might have been, you know, the, um, you know, um, you know, your uncle that you know, kind of didn't want to be around at family dinners, but they were still there. These were all your people and we all got to see each other and you could aspire to things that you saw because those were inspiring to you. And now, since we've concentrated poverty, segregation still exists in a big, big way. And it, I think we see it, the, the impact in our communities. And so that's why they're often considered these one-dimensional places where it's just their, their poverty. You know, there's really aren't any real educational paths, you know, to support people in them, let alone, you know, economic diversity and diversity of professional um, things to be. Right. And seeing, seeing all that, Daytona, in, ter- in terms of your journey, tra- you know, especially growing up with hip hop as hip hop grew up, it's, uh, tell us about some, some of the challenges that you faced just explaining like, this is, you know, th- this is what I'm doing. This is how we need to treat this. This is an mm-hmm. artist. This is not just some guy off the corner with a microphone. Tell us about that. Wow. I, I mean, to, to keep with the theme as well, you know, within community, that's where I, you know, hone my skills. I'm, I'm from Brooklyn, um, in particular, Lincoln between Washington and Underhill, right around the corner from the Brooklyn Museum. Um, most people would have thought like, hey, you're over there because it's the arts and it's cool. It was just as good and dangerous as any other part of Brooklyn to come up in. And um, I'm proud of the fact that I, I was able to get there, get what I needed, but also give back. And to give back, is to be able to tell the stories of the artists and the different creators that are connected to hip hop from areas like mine across the country. 
So that's one of the things that's like the hardship of it, because sometimes when you're even trying to tell your own people's story, they don't understand the magnitude of how they can um, impact others with their story. So sometimes they hold back. They don't tell the whole thing. They might change things up. And my job as a journalist who really cares about the culture is to get them to tell their authentic story, the one that's going to change the minds and the and, and inspire those young people that are coming up behind them in those same conditions. They can go out of the hood because they got a hit single or they could rap or they could play ball. But the thing is, how are you also inspiring those from those places once you do leave, like like Majora was talking about? I've I've I'm from Brooklyn, moved to Queens. It was almost like I got priced out of the hood. <laughs> it's like it was crazy. It was it was better for me to go and buy a home than to stay in my area and try to deal with the rents that were there and not be an owner. So there are all these different other uh, factors that go into some of us that may get some success and move out. But you always have to try to find a way to tie in and inspire those from where you are. Dr. Harper, what about the what about the discrimination in education? Because there, there's there's been a lot of educators who have talked about how, how especially young black boys are are tracked. They're looked at a certain way. Sometimes they may not be given opportunities. They may know they may be looked at as okay, kids to manage as opposed to kids to push to excel and have high expectations for. How does that play a role when you talk to them and encourage them to get into sciences and? Like, hey, you can drive a you can drive a really hot car too if you're a doctor and you do this, you know. Right, right, boy. Well, you uh, touched on a number of issues. So, uh, essentially, a uh, part of the the problem, and I think you may have heard me speak when I was at uh, Stony Brook talking to this group called uh, Black Men in in White Coats. So, this was uh, an event to encourage young people, young black men, to go into to medicine. And I shared with them along the way, you're going to encounter. Uh, essentially racist professors. You're going to, you're going to run into people who are not interested in seeing you succeed. Mm. And uh, somehow you have to work around that and, uh, and understand that these individuals exist. And if anything, you use that to strengthen your resolve to say, Hey, listen, I'm going to uh, succeed uh, despite that. And I shared with them, you know, my experience in, in certainly in college where professors would literally tell us, listen, on this upcoming exam, don't worry about chapter two and three. We're only going to do chapter four and five and then turn around and on the exam, just have only those chapters that he said we didn't have to worry about in an effort to really, uh, to, to really undermine, you know, what it is you're doing. Uh, so one of the, the, the stories that I tell is that I went to a professor again and asked, well, you know, what direction should we go? And he did the exact same thing, he said, Oh, study chapter one and two. Don't study chapter three and four. So I went back and I studied only chapter three and four, <laughs> you know, and it turns out he did the exact same thing. And I ended up getting like a 90, a very high grade, and he couldn't couldn't believe it himself. Uh, so these are some of the things that occur. So we have to be we have to acknowledge that. Uh, but I think part of the, the issue is that making sure that we understand that that exists and that we have to we may, in fact, have to work harder in order to to excel, uh, but not to be discouraged by that, but to to continue to do what you need to do to move forward. And, and you tell them, don't stay in the anger because it's a human. Naturally, you're, you know exactly what's going on. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, and it's hard, it's hard not to do that. So, uh, you know, uh, but that, that is in fact what needs to be done. And that's why oftentimes studying in groups and, and having other individuals who are like-minded 
who can we can support each other. I think that's that's very crucial. Mm-hmm. And real quick, I just want to jump in, just like what Jordan did with you, Doctor Harper. You made some really good points. That happens on every level. It happens in every genre and every kind of like you know bucket of what we live in as a community. That's right. It's like they're sending you this way, but you're really supposed to go this way. So you got to cover all ways. Right. And, oh my goodness, I needed that gem as well. Just so, so you can see how that's uh, that's a that's a challenge. So you're doing right. you're working twice as hard just to just to, to move forward. So you're and doing then, the job. You're doing the job, and then you're dealing with these micro microaggressions. Aggressions. That's and, correct. And then also dealing with this just this this bias this, that is built into the system. Majora, what about you? Because I mean, especially in the real estate world, we've we've seen numerous stories about uh, our co- you know our communities of color being underfunded, about redlining, you know, and some some there's still a extreme shortage of banks. The only way you're going to get cash is like some really sketchy looking ATM machine that's on a and you know, a big <laughs> motorcycle chain attached to the front of the bodega, and then you know, a being a woman, there you know, it's it's like we we just it, I guess it was. I learned from Ruth Bader Ginsburg's, uh, you know, obituary. It's like women weren't allowed to even own houses until the 1970s. Mm-hmm. But you have the gender thing, you have the racial thing. It's like, how do you deal with that? Can you share some story w- with us of, of how you dealt with that? Yeah, um, give you a, a, a sort of an early example. But this was this was this true story. When I wanted to acquire uh, my the second property that I that I owned, I, I we actually were pre-approved for for a loan, and I got the program the the development officer from this bank on the phone, and she was like, "Why do you need another property?" Wow! Whoa! <laughs> why do you? And I was and I went into like, this crazy moment. I was like, "I know why this is happening." So I was like, "Let me tell her what she wants to hear," and I was like, "Well." We're actually thinking about moving to this other space so that we so because we're going to become foster parents and we want to have a bigger place and da 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 da. And I'm a community minded person and see, you should not be threatened by my black face. And so I said it. I got the loan, but um, we got to do that. And it has been it has been so difficult. I mean, I'm struggling with this right now. You know, where, you know, basically the you know, people who have the, the big balance sheets, you know, they've got personal guarantees, they've got access to capital that, you know, black folks, even white women often don't even have. Um, you, you couple those, th- those things together and it's, it's, it's really difficult. And I'm seeing that right now. And, and I, you know, I don't have a rich uncle in the business, you know, who could, you know, front me, you know, a couple million dollars just to make sure stuff that the banks go, yeah, sure, you're a good risk. And, and it really, and it is, it is challenging. And so I think part of one of the things, reasons why I like to do what I do is it is sort of like illuminate this. It's just like, you know, that it's difficult to be like, even though we know that it's important, that it's smarter when folks like us are actually doing the more thoughtful, sensitive, proactively, economically enriching developments in our communities. We often don't have the, the capacity in particular around not the vision part, but around the access to capital part. And what are take we doing? That next level to take it to that next level. Yeah, and just like pretending and acting like, oh, it's just that you know that you just can't do it. We'll make our best efforts to include people of color, in particular black women, in these projects. And it's just like, no, what are you really doing to make sure that we can be involved? Exactly, and being the decision making spot. We're going to take a short break. We're going to continue with more of this amazing conversation with our guests. We are celebrating Black Trailblazers. 
We'll be back right after this. Yeah, yeah, what up, what up, what up? This is Styles P, the Ghost, and this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, and real people, only on Hot 97. Yeah, Ghost told you so. Welcome back to this episode of Street Soldiers. We are celebrating black trailblazers. We have an amazing panel, a lot of wisdom, a lot of experience, and so very inspiring. Dr. Brian Harper, he's the Chief Medical Officer and Vice President for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at the New York Institute of Technology. We also have with us Daytuan Thomas. He's the Executive Producer for Talent for Dick Clark Productions. Yes, that one, the one you see doing the big New Year's Eve specials, but they do pretty much a lot of big major award shows like the Golden Globes, like the Billboard Awards. And also with us is Majora Carter. She's a community-oriented real estate developer. She has Boogie Down Grind and Bronxlandia, the event venue in Hunts Point. She's also done a whole bunch of TED Talks, which I, I think is just to get through one of those is pretty impressive. Um, and we're talking about their experiences and what they've gone through and, and how they've managed to succeed despite implicit bias, despite discrimination, despite just all of these these barriers that are, that are still unfortunately out there. Dr. Harper, in terms of the whole, the whole health sphere has gotten uh, area has gotten so much more attention uh, since the pandemic, especially, and also the disparities in the delivery of health. Has have you seen that impacting the the desire of any of, of young black men and women to want to get involved in that? Because we've seen in some of the other fields, like the nurse practitioners, the physicians' assistants. What about what about with the, the medical field? Has the, the you know in terms of doctors, have you seen any um, you know increased interest because of that? Right. Well, recently, yes, there has been uh, an increased uh, interest in individuals applying to medical school. Uh, but in fact, if you look at COVID, there's been an overall uh, more of a loss of practitioners mm. as a result of COVID. So many people were, uh, were older and they just left the uh, the healthcare field uh, entirely. Uh, so we have to renew our efforts in order to 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 get people to you know continue to want to become physicians. One thing I would say that in addition to pipeline programs, so you want to get individuals interested in science early on because you can't say, well, I want to be a doctor in your your, your fourth year of college if you haven't done all of the things to get to that point where you can apply and be competitive. Right. Uh, So uh, we're in the process right now of trying to develop a a program even for undergrad college students where they can get exposed to uh, the medical school curriculum and the vigors. Uh, and a rigor, excuse me, of, of, of medical school, uh, because it's, it's a challenge. Even going from college to medical school, it's, it's a lot more difficult. And I was, uh, I had the fortune of going to a, a program at New York Medical College, uh, in which I was a college student, but that's what was, was my first exposure to, uh, cadavers and anatomy and what have you. And it gives you a little bit of a, uh, a leg up so that you know what's, what to expect when you get to medical school. And I think those are the types of programs that we need, uh, for undergrad as well as for, for high school students to get them more familiar with college so that we begin to work with people from a very young age. We're talking about an elementary school all the way, you know, to, to applying to college. Those are the types of things that we need. So they need that, that, that foundational education from the very beginning is so, is so important. That's correct. That's correct. Because one, the, the sciences sort of build on each other. So if you don't have an understanding of math, it's going to be difficult for physics and chemistry and so on and so forth. Uh, so we have to start very young to get people engaged and it, and it can be done. It's this, this is nothing impossible. Uh, you know, uh, as a people very determined. Uh, so once we set our minds that this is something that we would like to do, uh, then you, you get engaged and, and you, you can move forward. Right. It's but been it, encouraging to see like the STEM and the STEAM, all the, uh, 
all all the emphasis on those programs and and a lot of the city schools. Um, Dayton, what about what about now in your your role in Hollywood? Um, how is how is your hip hop background prepared you for that? Tell us a little bit about what that's been like for you. Oh my goodness, the transition has been amazing, um, and it's been gradual as well. Some people might think that. It was like super abrupt. Uh, I just left Vibe and went straight over to Dick Clark, but that that hasn't been the case. I've been working with uh, Dick Clark Productions since like early 2020, and uh, just as a consulting producer on a on a bunch of the shows. And um, a lot of times, just being frank, I'm I'm usually the only black male in the room. Um, you know, our sensibility coming from hip hop is about doing things kind of like, hey, I know that person or you know what? I know a way to do that a little bit quicker than how they do in Hollywood. Um, and, and just using my resources and things of that nature in a different way. I won't, I don't want to say it's a hip hop way. I would say it's like a date one hip hop way, <laughs> you know, but, um, it's you been it's a Brooklyn. I know you're by, I know you want to yeah. say it's a Brooklyn thing. Okay. <laughs> it's the Brooklyn way. <laughs> it's the Brooklyn way. Show exactly. It's the Brooklyn way. <laughs> exactly. And it's, it's been amazing to be able to see how my skills, within the media landscape are transferable within, you know, the Hollywood landscape. And it's also like a sensibility. I think in Hollywood, there's a lot of like, just once again, being frank, a lot of stuffiness and in hip hop, it's a little bit looser. So I'm able to approach some of the people within this space and with new energy. And I, I would, I would also like to say like with new ideas of what to do, who to focus on. Here are some new acts that we should look at. Here's some new themes and new genres of music. And, oh, have you seen these black independent films? Have you seen this director that's really cool that's working on TikTok? All of those type of things, being able to bring all of that. I think my, like my trend spotting skills have carried me throughout my career. And bringing that over here is going to be my shining star. No, absolutely. And to keep those keep those shows uh, relevant, basically. Definitely. And and develop new ones. Uh, I believe like when you do hear Dick Clark, you think of like about 60 years of Americana. And it it when when you look at it, sometimes it's only in a certain kind of box. In the last 60 years, we've we've grown and changed and included so much of international within America. You know, so we have to be able to be diverse enough to understand, hey, here's regional Mexican music or regional Latin music. Oh, here's super underground hip hop that's making a, a, a jump up. Oh, here's EDM, but also infuse like that newness that needs to come through. So I'm, I'm looking to develop some new things as well. No, that's awesome. But you are in, term, in terms of your work, the, 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 the real estate field, give, give us some sense of some of the things that you some what techniques maybe that you've learned to to use when you're you're not being seen for who you are and what you really do. Well, I had to learn some te- some some techniques because I'm always being seen for who I am, which is a black woman working in a field that does not respect me and does not expect me to do the, uh, come up in the things that I do. So, what I'm one of the most beautiful things that that I learned is that because when you do this kind of work and you want people to, to see to see you doing it in the hopes that they follow along. I realized that part of what I was doing was not sharing how hard it was. And mm-hmm. uh, recently, you know, so we at Bronxlandia and said so that female, I think that's a, I think that's a female thing too. Mm. For a while, yeah. we, like, we just, we do all these incredible things and and they're like, you know, we're supposed to be, do it and look good doing it and, you know, not yeah. talking about it. 
Exactly. And so, but at one point, so the, our event venue, Bronxlandia, you know, we needed a liquor license because basically people, when you open up your space like that, people will expect to have, be able to like serve liquor. A cocktail. Right. So we had, so we got our license, the state liquor authority approved us. And it was unfortunately our local community board, which are unfortunately comprised of folks that don't look like me and who are not really interested in seeing someone like a black woman do this work. Um, blocked it on a technicality, not from anything that we did. And and I had to socialize, you know, what I felt were just like very anti-Black, very anti-women, uh, their attitudes, and it was no more than their attitude, and put it out on social media about, you know, we had this license, but it was taken away from us because these men decided that I should not be doing this. So the things I was accused of, um, you know, bringing, bringing to the neighborhood was just like, and I ridiculous. And I socialized it. And that's when I realized I had to depend on people to to actually come to my to come to my aid, literally to come support me at those stupid meetings. Yeah. And I said stupid meetings, um, you know, that that I because that I had to go through in order to to go through the process of getting this license. Wasn't the state liquor authority it was like the local people who decided that they were the gatekeepers um, and that I should not be allowed to participate. Um and it was a really fascinating time. But I realized it's because of who I am that I have to do those things. Um, and it was a super powerful, you know, and I'm very, I feel really blessed that I had an opportunity to witness how my community did come out in support. And then also too, a, le- a lesson too, when you speak out about it, not complaining, not in a complaining way, but just like hashtag facts, this is what's well, going on. You know, people people will do the do the right thing who who recognize what you're trying you know what what you're trying to do, Doctor Harper. What about the gatekeepers and medicine? Tell us about that. Okay, yeah. So uh, that's a again. These I could spend hours to discussing a lot of this, but just All to right, give you about say, five minutes. <laughs> and just to give you a sense, <laughs> now you're you belong to my world. They <laughs> try to It's all about the clock. Okay, so just to give you seconds over, Lisa, you got to cut something. <laughs> right, right. How this operates after you get out of medical school. So assuming you can do all of the things that you need to do to get into medical school, then you have to go into our residency program. So now you've learned the basics of medicine in the uh, in the medical school. Now you have to learn really how do you how do you uh, manage patients and what have you. Right, and that uh, is a challenge in and of itself because you have to get into these various residency programs. And those are ultimately the gatekeepers. They're going to tell you how many surgeons you're going to have, how many family practitioners, whatever. You have to get into those programs. Mm. Once you get into those programs, particularly the surgical programs, then you have oftentimes a pyramid system. So they'll accept five for the first year. The next year, there'll only be four. Next year, there'll only be three. Next year, there'll only be two. So that, you know, they're constantly screening individuals out. Uh, So you can imagine if you're competing now against the the majority students and what have you, it's, it becomes very much of a challenge in order huh. to eventually all uh, succeed. Uh, so those are some of the challenges that we have. But before we even get to that point, we just want to make sure we have enough individuals leaving medical school uh, to go into enter those, those those various fields. And what do you think uh, is the main? What do you think is the main barrier now? Because you talk about the percentage really hasn't changed that much for decades. Well, uh, it's funny man. how right. It's funny how all of this is all interrelated. So when we talk about systemic racism and systemic problems at each individual point uh you're going to have less and less individuals who are able to apply and to to move forward 
And at the end of the day, that's what uh, that what it, what's what ends up happening is you just don't have enough people who are unnecessarily qualified at that point to get into these various uh, various systems. So it's all connected. And even when we talk about health uh, inequities or health disparities, there's a reason why, for example, black men have the highest rate of colon cancer death, prostate cancer death, stomach cancer death, and black women have the highest rates of cervical cancer death and uh, breast cancer death. Because all of these things are interrelated. Uh, real estate is fascinating. Depending on what area you're in, that's going to determine, you know, the quality of your education. That can determine right. a lot of things just based on, on where, you, where you're actually living at. And in fact, it's now saying that your zip code is more important to your health status than anything else. So you can see how all of these things are related. And the good news is that anyone who's helping in any of what we call the social determinants of health, so if you're helping people with real estate, you're helping people to get a job, you're helping people in education, it's all ultimately improving uh, a community's health. And uh, because, as I mentioned, it's, it's all interrelated and it's hard to, to, to try to get everything across in, in such a small piece of time. But that's just giving you like an overall picture of some of the dynamics. No, I would I, actually say that it's very important that, you know, uh, we're finding out that when a patient and a physician are similar in race and, and culture and ethnicity, it turns out that the outcomes are, are also better. So there's a very important discussion if we're talking about having more uh, uh, more and more black physicians that mm. ultimately yield uh, better outcomes and, and better health outcomes for the community in general. Daquan, you're talking about you're, you're behind the scenes in the entertainment industry now, in the big time Hollywood television industry. It's it, many of the performers, the biggest stars, the, the biggest entertainment figures w- that we have are black men and black women. Yes. And how do you, you know, you said you, you become accustomed to, as other black executives have told us, you become accustomed to being the only black man in a room full of white men and white women trying to explain the, the, this culture. Are the, is it there a cultural divide? Is it a numbers game? Is it there's just not people coming up these pipelines? Why is that? Because when you look at who's producing the culture, I mean, hip hop is the dominant art form, you know, a creative form. Um, we know where it came from. We know who the biggest stars are. I mean, why is that? That 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 behind the scenes power. I mean, this, it's the same in a lot of news uh, division, not at, at our place, but in a lot of other news divisions as well. Why is that? I, I believe it's a multitude of those things that you mentioned just now. Um, but one of the factors is we, we just need to be in a room. And I think mm. more that we're in, once we get in the room, then we also have to act. We also have to raise our voice. We also have to be seen. And that's one of the things about, you know, I, a lot of people are, are like to say code switch. You know, you get in the room and then you have to assimilate. But then does real progress happen once you do that? And I believe like once you shake it up a, a little bit, you get a lot of it because now you're starting to make pathways and you're opening up the lane to say, hey, there's a new black director that I think we should look at. There's a new artist that we should look at. Um, there's also that that notion that there's another executive like me that's really good that can help support what I'm talking about as well. Let's bring them on board. So it's about getting into the rooms, understanding the pulling in the in the, in the you know, lift as you climb, you know, and I think. That's one of the things that as a black executive, we have to focus on more so than our white counterparts. They don't necessarily have to do that added work. We have to do the job 
and try to help other people come in that look like us, that may have uh, similar ideas and understanding where things can go. And it's not all like, hey, everything got to be black. It's just, can we have some more diversity so we can have, you know, uh, a better touch point with the things that we create that can hit more people that'll get us even more views that right. make more money. Right. Exactly. <laughs> don't cut off don't cut off don't cut off <laughs> for your race pledge guys. There's a there's a lot of a lot of a lot of whites, Asians, and Latinos and a lot out there. I love hip hop too, so it's a number when it's a numbers game, everybody's winning, right? Exactly. And and the thing is we just can't just shoehorn in hey, this is black and this is this is Asian and this is whatever. It has to be quality too. And right. that's what you have to have quality people within these executive positions to make the moves that we need to make. So we got better quality entertainment that can, I would say, inspire people to their best. That's all. Because we all get inspired. You go to the movies, a movie can hit your heart. Mm-hmm. I go to Color Purple. I've seen the Color Purple twice now. It made me cry two times. I'm like, how is this happening? You know, because if you look at the producing team, that team is steeped in our culture. Steven Spielberg, I think, had to take a back seat in this particular one just because it was like, hey, we're going to infuse a little bit more of Africana in there. Right. We're going to know about, you know, Jim Crow South and all of that stuff a little bit more so. So we need those people in the rooms to be able to make the impact that it needs to have. No, definitely. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back with more. From our Black Trail Bla- celebrating Black Trailblazers, I'm Lisa Evers. Stay with us. Yo, what up, people? This is Common, and this is the Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, and real people. Only on Hot 97. The people, baby. Welcome back to this episode of Street Soldiers. We are celebrating Black Trailblazers, and boy, we got some amazing ones with us on this panel. Joining us, Dr. Brian Harper. He's a Chief Medi- Medical Officer and Vice President for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at New York Institute of Technology. Daytuan Thomas, he's the executive producer of talent for Dick Clark Productions. Yes, the ones that do the big New Year's Eve show, but they do many, many big award shows like the Golden Globes, the Billboard Awards, and many others. And Majora Carter, she is a community-oriented real estate developer. She owns a Boogie Down Grind in Bronxlandia, the event venue. And uh, we're getting some information, some tips for them. Majora, in terms of what you know now that you would have liked to Tell your younger self when you were starting out in this field of real estate. Are there lessons that, that is there something you would like to have known? And two things. One, the practical one, like understanding finance, like that has hurt me in every sense of the word. Um, the second thing is just remembering who you are when you walk into a room and it is that that is the value that you bring. And don't ever forget that you were divinely made to do what you do. And then in terms of the, the advice of, of people, you, t- you talk about finance because that's another area too for all women. You know, there's been a lot of focus on ladies, get your act together with your money, you know, the finances, no investments, no all of these things. And then also too, a big push in the black community about that is, is well. What about ownership? Is that something? No, that's, I mean, I'm sorry, when I say finance, I'm including all that in it so that you could understand how do you, do you become an owner? You know, how do you play that game? Because if you don't understand the way money moves, how you can acquire it, how to get it cheaply so that you can do all these great things. As I do want to be a community, I am a community oriented developer, but had I known 
the things that I'm learning now, when I started this, first of all, I wouldn't have been using my own money to, mm-hmm. to make these things happen. Right. That's not what you do. Um, I would have figured out, I would have found the kind of mentor, sponsors, whatever, to, and, and knowing that I was starting, you know, frankly, as a black woman, which meant it was a little, be a little bit harder, but that's where I would have like, that's where I would have sown my seeds. So like put the, put the effort in that. Dr. Harper, for, your, for yourself, what, what advice do you have? For, well, or is there something you look back down and go like, man, if I'd known that when I was 21. Right, right. I think uh, broadening uh, sort of my horizons in terms of meeting other people outside of the, the science or the medical field. If you really want to have an impact on, on health overall, it's not simply treating, uh, treating patients, but you have to have an understanding of all of those other uh, dynamics that tie into uh, having uh, improved uh, community health. Uh, so, and I can talk about some experiences that I've had where essentially we've worked with the community. I was working at a cancer center in, in Harlem. And uh, we worked with the local musicians. So we had hip hop art- artists. Uh, we had uh, worked closely with the NBA. LeBron James came to our center and we worked with them to encourage people to be screened for cancer. So it has to be a community effort if you really want to reduce or improve uh, some of these health indices. Uh, for young people, I would just say you have to be very focused on your immediate uh, challenge. So if you're in elementary school or in grade school, you don't necessarily have to worry about college. You do have to pass that, that, that test that's right in front of you. Keep focused on those small steps and eventually you'll get to the point where you can, you know, move forward and, uh, and take on some of the bigger challenges. All right. Dayton, what, what about you in terms of getting started in journalism? Do you, do you still think that was the, the best foundation for you for everything that you're doing now? Oh, no question. Journalism is the foundation. I, I mean, uh, being able to get information out to people will make you a resource for people to come to you with more information. And I think it also allowed me to, in a way, go to a different kind of school. Uh, People don't realize that some of the biggest hip hop artists are the best business people that you can go to. You know, they've, they've gone through so many different ups and downs and beating fear and finding the money and getting the talent and putting it out and marketing the right way and then performing it all. If you get to talk to some of these people that we look at and they only have on the big chains and you don't realize that they, they have some big brains too. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been able to, to kind of move and, and, and get around in that way because I've gotten gems from them as well. But what I would tell my younger self is to beat back the fear, any kind of fear stepping into that room, you know, Saying like, you know, I might not belong here. No, you belong day and and continue to belong. And that's what I would tell myself. Exactly. Well, this is fantastic. I want to thank you all for being with us for this episode of Street Soldiers. Dr. Brian Harper, Daytuan Thomas, Majora Carter. And thank you for joining us for this episode of Street Soldiers as we celebrate Black Trailblazers. I'm Lisa Evers, your host. Remember, use your mind. It's your best weapon. I hope it's your only weapon. Let's push for peace, love and justice for all.